This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's Good News. C-H-I dot org. Let's turn now Today's to hear service. what the word of God has for God, us God, we come week. before you, Lord, um, as we gather to hear your word. Um, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us. Be with us not only in um, articulating the message, but just as importantly, be with us as we sit and hear your word. God, we pray, Lord, that we will not just be mere hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And as we've been going through the book of 1 John in this series, I ask God, even though it's a, a book that can be all too familiar with us, your word is so deep and so rich that there's always something new to be attained. So God, let us lay hold of this. Let us not grow weary. Father, we ask that we glorify you in the things we say and do, and not to ourselves, but unto you. Last but not least, I lift up the nursery workers. Lord, uh, be with them, fill them with your Holy Spirit as they care for our young ones. And I also pray for Children's Church as we started this today. Lord, we pray for the workers there. Fill them with your Holy Spirit as they articulate uh, the words of Christ to um, the future generation. For they are the kingdom of God. We are here today as one. And we ask to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Something we must understand that what makes us the people of God is our change. Even more than this is our transformation, which is spoken out of a text that's all too common out of Romans 12, verse 2, which reads this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. what is good and acceptable and perfect. This text is very clear. If we are not transforming by the renewal of our mind to the mind of Christ, we are conforming to the world. We like to think as a church that there is a middle ground. There is no middle ground, none. You are either growing in Christ or you are not. You are either transforming or conforming. Another important truth in Romans 12, too, is that as a result of being transformed through the testing of hard times of life, we are to discern God's will and God's plan. He lets us in on what he wants to do and when to do it. You see... Because, once again, we have to grow in our relationship with Christ. And if we see Christ as something that holds us back, we see our relationship with God wrongly. If we see our relationship with God as loss rather than gain, then we see our relationship with God wrongly. If for those, even for those, I'm sorry, that had to give up earthly riches, comfort, and a good life, and a good relationship, and a good job, does what you give up compare to the eternal worth of knowing Jesus? 
who offers life and life to the full. In this life which is perishable, does the perishable even compare to that which is imperishable? The answer is evident. It does not. Today we're concluding our sermon series in 1 John. And if you remember, the book of 1 John can be summed up in three words. Light, love, and life. Today, in the final chapter, we conclude with life. We know the believer, John, was writing to those that were confronted with the false doctrine of Gnosticism, which became a more serious problem during this time in the second century. And as a philosophy of religion, Gnosticism held that the matter, again, is evil. Physical matter is evil, and the spirit is good. The solution to the tension between these two was knowledge, also known as gnosis. Gnosis. In the gospel message of the Gnostics, this led to the false theories concerning the person of Jesus Christ. One of those theories is called docetism. I'm sorry, docetism. Docetism regarding, and what this means is regarding human, human Jesus as a ghost, as just a mere spirit. The other is um, Serentianism. Serentianism, making Jesus as a dual personality, at human, at times, and at times, divine. The key purpose of this letter that John is writing is to bring clarity to the contents of faith and to give believers assurance that our confidence in life comes from salvation in Christ. Our confidence in life comes from salvation in Christ. Today's text is 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. If you're not there already, please turn with me to John, 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 21. And our confidence in life comes from salvation in Christ because there is freedom in knowing Jesus. Point one, our confidence in life comes from salvation in Christ because there is freedom in knowing Jesus. Read with me verse 13 and only verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. In the book of 1 John, we encounter the word know more than 30 times in the whole book. And in today's text specifically, we see the word know mentioned at least seven times. And this is often paired in this text with the word we. And again, if we see our relationship with God as something that is holding us back, we do not see our relationship with God rightly. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 5.1. He says this, For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
If we believe our relationship with Christ is not freeing, the very thing that we find freedom in is really enslaving us. It's enslaving us. And you see, there is freedom in knowing Jesus, in that there is power from his presence. Point A, there is freedom in knowing Jesus, in that there is power in his presence. Please read with me verses 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. And that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. In the same way as earlier in 1 John 4.17, he says we ought to have confidence on the day of judgments because of our salvation in Christ, so should we have confidence in prayer before the throne of Christ. The confidence, the word confidence literally means freedom of speech. And what can hinder our confidence is a couple of things when we pray and make a request to the Lord. The first one is unconfessed sin. As it says in 1 John 3, 21-22, if our hearts condemn us, this can be a hindrance, an obstacle, and this can shake our confidence in God. Or if there is any conflict or sin between another brother and sister in Christ, or a husband and wife, according to Matthew 5 and 1 Peter 3, we must make peace with them. Another is, when we make a request and pray with confidence, we have to pray according to God's will. Pray according to God's will. Again, as I previously mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, that we must abide in him. This is our daily goal in this life while God permits us to live another day. When we make it a practice, a habit of abiding in Christ, and doing so, the results will be that our hearts align with his, and we will want what he wants. I love the way a, a Scottish missionary in the early 1900s, he was a preacher, that said this about prayer. His name was Robert Law. He said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not only for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. I also like the quote of George Mueller, whose life was founded uh, by prayer. He started an orphanage. He came from an affluent background of riches, and he left it all, and he was a Prussian, and he started um, an orphanage and, and raised the funds, not by asking for funds, but simply by praying, and that in praying that God will lay it on the hearts of the people to give, so that he will start an orphanage for the foster kids that were in uh, foster care, kids that didn't have prayer, parents, kids that didn't have parents. And he said this, prayer is, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance or even our own reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not overcoming our reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. And see, prayer is power. 
In verse 15, John doesn't say, we think he hears us. In verse 15, he tells us, we know he hears us. And we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Imagine if we pray with this kind of confidence, with the right heart before him, a heart that abides in Christ and wants what God wants. Is there power in his presence? Will there not be power in our lives? Read with me verses 16 through 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sin that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray that, Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We are reminded here in the following verses of one of our greatest enemies. The way the world puts this is ourselves, that we are our greatest enemy. That's the way the world says this, they explain this. And see, the world's definition is a shallow one and superficial description of what the real battle from within is. The battle from within is our old nature, is the flesh, and is sin. And the reason the world's version of the idea of us being our greatest enemy is superficial is because it misses a humongous piece of the puzzle. And that is that we are inherently evil. And when the world tells us to be the best version of ourselves, the best version of ourselves is evil, is sinful, is selfish, and is living in death without Christ. And you see, the best version of ourselves is completely not of ourselves. The best version of ourselves, church, is when we reflect the image of Christ. That is the best version of ourselves. And see, in verse 16, John instructs us that when we see another who is not reflecting the image of Christ and drifts out of sin, that our first response ought to be criticism, gossip, getting even. No, our first response ought to be prayer. And if there is power in Christ's presence, God will give the person in sin life because because they are God's, they are his, and we are not meant to be the best versions of ourselves in sin, and they are not meant to be the best versions of themselves which is dead in sin. They are meant to be the best version of themselves in Christ. Something we know all too well though, is that some of us sin in the church, and that our sins are not so quick In our sins, we are not so quick to turn back to Christ. Some of us, and some of us have seen those that are so deep into sin that they are deceived or re-enslaved to the very sin that God delivered them from. And when John contrasts here a sin that does not lead to death versus a sin that does lead to death, what he means is physical harm. Physical harm. Physical death. 
An example of this, and this is the most vivid example I can think of for the sake of time, and to make it clear, is a person that struggles with an addiction. An addiction to a habit, to greed, or to a substance. And they will act on this addiction and will do their worst till this addiction is fulfilled. And what John says, that we should not pray for their life to be taken, but if they persist in this sinful addiction, that it is not only dividing themselves from Christ, but dividing the body and tainting the testimony of his church. That if they persist in this sin, that the Lord in his grace and mercy may decide to take that person home, take that person's life, take that brother and sisters in Christ's life. This was the case for the Corinthians when they irreverently partook of the Lord's Supper. And it's also the case for Ananias and Sapphira who lied about what they were giving to the church and the Lord took their life because they were portraying a false testimony. Even though they gave much, they were lying and they died. And see, another example was one that I'm not too entirely thrilled of sharing, but I'm going to share it with you and hopefully it brings this point uh, more clear. I've mentioned many times as I share God's word with you all of mentors that I've had in my life. And one of my mentors uh, that had a very big influence in my life was taken home a little too early. And his name was Mark Pilato. And uh, the the short version of my story is, as you know, uh, I grew up here in Chicago and got involved in gangs and I had to leave Chicago to start my life over and my mom sent me to San Antonio, and I spent seven years there. And during those seven years, God brought across my path an evangelist that was named Mark Pilato. He was being trained by other seasoned evangelists. And I was in my teenage years. I was a young teenager, and Mark was in his young to mid-20s, and he was on this evangelism team being trained that, by men that were much, much older and much more mature. And Mark was a man of God, and he loved God, and when he would share God's word, people were drawn to him because he had a very charismatic personality. But the issue of when he would share God's word is he would repeat what the older saints in his life were saying and portray himself as being much further along in his relationship with Christ than he should have been. And he had an overconfidence that led to developing a following in addition to discipling me he developed a following, and in that following, he uh, convinced a young lady that it was God's will to be his wife. And she believed him because he said it was God's will. Her father intervened, and this led him to going back into the original sin that he once was a part of. And see, what Mark's sin was that I should have shared earlier is that he was a heroin addict. And he went through a, a, a ministry called Victory Outreach. And so when he followed the Lord and discipled me and was on this evangelism team and convinced this young lady that she was to be his wife, and the father intervened and broke it up, he went back to the original sin that God delivered him from. And it got to the point to where he was in a Christian rehabilitation home. And... Um, he convinced someone in that rehabilitation home to leave him alone, which they're not supposed to do. And they did. And the moment that person left him alone, he had some heroin that he snuck in. And he shot up. 
and he OD'd, and he died. And that's how he left. And I'm convinced that Mark Pilato was saved, because I remember that I memorized my first verses of Mark Pilato. I remember Mark Pilato went out and showed me how to evangelize and share the gospel of Christ as a youth. I am fruits of Mark Pilato's ministry, even though his end wasn't so great. You see, there is freedom in knowing Jesus, in that there is power in his presence in him, and real life, for he is the one true God. Point B, there is freedom in knowing Jesus, in that in him is real life, for he is the one true God. Read with me verses 18 through 19. We know, there goes those words, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We see here in verse 18, John continues in his style of writing of repetition and amplification. He is saying the same thing differently in these verses, once again, to emphasize clarity and also depth. We know that we are unable to attain sinless perfection in this life. And the spiritual truth we see here being emphasized and amplified and explained in more depth is from earlier in 1 John 3, 6 of abiding, remaining, and continuing. When we make it a habit to abide in Christ, we make it a habit not to become sinless as without sin, we make it a habit to not sin as much, to sin less. That is the goal of abiding, and that is the results of abiding. That is the results of growth in Christ. We see the depth in the being born of God, of not sinning and abiding, when John explains another aspect of this. And that is that God protects his child from another enemy that is described at the end of verse 18. So not just from sin, not just from ourselves and the fleshly nature, but he says in verse 18, the evil one does not touch him, does not touch God's people. And see, many Greek scholars explain the word in this verse, touch, in a very in-depth way. Here, it doesn't no way nearly mean what it conveys in the English language, where the idea in English is to lightly physical touch. But in the Greek, the word touch here in this verse means the completely other extreme. It means to lay hold of, to grasp, which makes sense as to why a follower in Christ would be in need of God's protection. God protects his own from allowing the evil one to attach themselves to his people. And for those that abide in Christ, make it a habit not to become susceptible to the influence of sin. And you see in light of verse 18, 
I'm sorry, in light of verse 19, we see here once again the confidence and freedom emphasized in John's writing in his use of the phrase, we know we are from God. That even though the world is getting worse because it is under Satan's power, we know God who is more than able to protect his own people from being laid hold of by the power of the devil. For he is the one true God. And see, let us remember two Sundays ago a text from Psalms 121. In verses 5 through 7, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Let us conclude in verse 20 through 21. Please read with me. And we know, there we see it again, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John further explains the importance and benefits of abiding, and it is to give us an increased understanding. This is the importance of the degree of understanding that God grants to us that we should not take lightly. It is important. It is extreme. And something we know that Jesus is the one true God, He isn't like these false gods or idols that are lofty and out of touch. Something that strongly differentiates us, church, as followers of Christ, is that we serve a God who is relational, in tune with us, and intimate. The word for know here in verse 20, in the Greek that is changed and used here, is called gnosko, which speaks of knowledge by experience, or to know intimately. And just as he is in tune with us, we ought to be in tune with him by abiding in Christ. John puts abiding here more explicitly by saying, we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. Then we see as John moves toward the conclusion of this letter, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the true God. He is eternal life. Because Jesus is God's Son, He is God. And because He is God, He is eternal life. He is the one true God because He's real life. He's real. And you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. We were not created to die. All of the physical limitations and ailments we suffer from are results from the spiritual, are results of sin. When John says we, church, are not of this world, we aren't simply not of this world because we perceive, because this world we perceive isn't really real. This world around us isn't really real life. It's real in the sense that it's physical and we are here presently, but isn't really real life as it was meant to be. Why? Because we were 
created for God. We were not created for a temporary world, a temporary life with false gods, with false idols. I have a confession to make. I have a bit of an addiction to Diet Coke. And I specifically love Diet Coke when I'm eating pizza, steak, or chicken wings. I don't know why that is, I, I, just, I just prefer Coke that way. And I'm trying to quit, and it's hard. The other part of that confession is I hate water. I really do. Ever since I was little, and unfortunately, I see my four sons, and they drew the short straw of the genetic pool, and they all take after me in that regard. My youngest son, Hero, is the worst of them all, and he is a sugarholic. I kid you not, if you gave him a bag of sugar, he would drink it. He would drink, drink straight from the bag. He'd put a straw in it, and he'd drink it. And I will claim that, unfortunately, this is to my genetics, because I hate water. And by God's grace, I became disciplined in drinking water, and primarily water. And every now and then, I cave, and I drink um, Coke. And see, even though in Coke, as bad as it is, it's not meant to hydrate you. It dehydrates you. And it's been said that in Coke, that the fluid that is meant to hydrate you, of all the carbonation and ingredients, only 20% of that is really actually water. And see, what our body craves is water. What my body really needs and truly craves is pure water. And you see, the world unknowingly acknowledges they have a need for something that is not fulfilling in this life. When they have an inner longing to rise above themselves, to achieve greater, to do more, all of this, all is limited to this life that is perishing, when in reality, the real life they are longing for and yearning for is found in Christ, who is the one true God. And it isn't found in the temporary life that is passing here on earth. And you see, listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8, 22 to 25. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains, of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we are, were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. And we wait for it with patience. And may we rid ourselves of this idolatry by remaining in Jesus, who is the one true God, who is your life. As we see here in closing, a couple of questions for reflection. And the first one is, are we, as God's people, convicted that prayer is effective, powerful, real, Explain your answer. You see, prayer is really the thermometer of our spiritual life and the spiritual life of a church. When we think prayer, we must think power. 
Today in the church, as a whole, prayer meetings are the least popular events. When a church has a potluck, social night, gym night, people will come by the dozens. But when it is time for the church to get together for a prayer event, the numbers are scarce. And you see, when we see this church, this is a tangible way to measure our spiritual life as a body together. And we wonder why there is no power amongst us. When John explains in the thrust of this letter, in verse 13, is that we may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, that in closing, these closing verses, he breaks down that the one of the practices ought to be confidence in prayer. Specifically, when we pray, do we pray as one who is speaking to the air? Not thinking about what we say? Do we pray with hindrance, lacking confidence that God is able because of unconfessed sin that he's not able in our lives of conflict with another in the church family? John says that if they are in sin, we are to pray for that brother that is wayward and God will give them life. We must pray with confidence as it says in verse 15. And if we have this request from him, as if we already have this request for him, that he has already granted to us and it has already come to pass, that his will will be done. His will will be done in that person's life. Why should we pray with such confidence and boldness and above all freedom? Because we are to pray in accordance to his will. And if we are uncertain what his will is, is we pray for this until he gives us certainty and confidence of what his will is in that specific situation. And if we don't have confidence, church, church in God who has overcome, then what are we as the people of God? Where is our power? Where does our power come from? Where is the freedom that comes from the presence of Christ? Let us seek him together in our time together and pray with confidence, power, and freedom. For in his presence is power. Question two, does being from God give you confidence, freedom, in this life and in the life to come? John is specific that we know that we are from God and God, um, and we know that we are from God and we must not continue in sinning. This is not God's will for us. And if nothing has changed in us in our relationship with sin, then it can be highly questionable if we were saved to begin with. I want to emphasize that this doesn't mean that we are sinless again. I want to emphasize that. That doesn't mean we're sinless, but that abidance with Christ, in abidance with Christ, we begin to sin less. It is then that when we live this way that we will understand the will of God as we draw closer to him and we will see the world clearly. Even though Satan may have dominion and power in accordance, according to John 4, 4, 4, we are overcomers in Christ and we will understand the will of Christ and not be swayed by the false gods of this life because what we have is real. And what is real is in Christ. 
And the reality is there isn't life without Christ, and everything else is a generic substitute. And you see, church, we have to get it together and not become idle in our struggle with sin, in our struggle with sin with each other. And even though it may be hard, it is worth it because Christ is more than worth it. Many of you know that the official day of my wife and I, Katie's wedding anniversary, was this past Wednesday. And we have been married for 10 years and together for 12. And to say that we haven't been through it is an understatement. We've been through a lot. And a good friend of mine by the name of Harlan texted me this past Wednesday congratulating me on our anniversary. And me and my friend Harlan, we go way back. And that we have many similar interests. We both grew up in Uptown, played basketball for a youth league here in Chicago called Miracle League. And most importantly, we value our relationship with God. And during the time when I was pursuing Katie, my wife, before we were married, he was my accountability partner. And Harlan has been married much longer than I have. And this upcoming August, he celebrates his 17-year anniversary. And when he congratulated me in this text message, I asked him about marriage. And I said, as I met this 10-year mark, I said, does marriage get any easier? And right away, he replied, nope, LOL. And then I replied, replied ha ha, uh, laugh crying emoji. And then, and then I said, sounds accurate. Then he responds, he responds, and he says this about marriage, but it does get better. And he texts a heart emoji, in which I respond with a text, a resounding amen. And see, in many ways, church, just like marriage, even though abidance in Christ is hard and isn't easy, it does get better because Jesus is so worth it. And you see, part of understanding what John explains here in verse 20 and how it connects with verse 19 is that Satan does have a heavy influence on this world. And when we understand this in accordance with God's will, we know that it can only get worse. The world will only get worse. That idolatry is meant to increase in the most subtle ways. The idolatry of self-elevation, of sexuality, the idolatry of politics, of comfort and convenience, and much, much more. And deep in your inner being, you sense and you see things get worse, and you sense the Holy Spirit is warning you that something is coming. Someone is coming. And you see, when Christ comes, it will be over for those that oppose him and do not know him. And for those that don't, may we repent and believe in him. And you see, we know that we know, church. And if you don't know, now you know. Because our confidence 
then life comes from salvation in Christ. Pray with me. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschai.org.